are so happy to be here with you tonight. We just uh, are looking forward to this uh, teaching here because we're getting such incredible response. I've had so many calls. I've had uh, so many emails. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for your tremendous interest. We do want to thank Janet Lee, my wife, for that beautiful, absolutely beautiful rendition. She um, really did it with uh, the old, old time sort of forever songs that are along more of the pipe organish, organish style. <laughs> uh, you get what I'm saying, what I mean. So uh, we, we're very happy for that. So tonight, um, another trip up the mountain of transfiguration. This is uh, number eight, part eight. And we're still involved in all those um, digging up those super deep. And wonders of, of factual truths that have been, have been lost. They've just been lost in a, in a sleep of time. And now they're being opened and we can appreciate and enjoy this word. And it is a living epistle in each of us. Well, <clears throat> if you turn to the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew, and uh, we begin with verse 1, 17 verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taking Peter, James, and John, his brother, he brings them up into a high mountain apart. Now, we've often used this to show people that this was not one of the typical mountains, like closer to um, Jerusalem, because those mountains were anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 feet at the highest. And the only really high mountain that exists in Israel uh, is, believe me, none of the mountains like like Carmel or Mount Tabor, especially Mount Tabor that some people have thought, well, that's where the, the you know, the transfiguration was. Uh, but uh, as you know, you should know by now, was is called Mount Zion. And uh, you should know the name of that mountain. And we'll be covering that a little more as we go along. Okay. Now, after six days, you know, that's interesting because when you get past the six days, you get ready to go into the fulfillment, the full days, you know, the fulfillment of things. And um, uh, I think this is a time in which uh, we are getting people to pass uh, from the six-day uh, revelation, uh, the time of the making of humans and animals and and getting ready to pass on to, you know, a, a divine moment, a day of rest. And uh, it, it is where God, uh, through Jesus, took uh, Peter, James, and John uh, and brought them up to a high mountain apart from the spinning of the world. Okay, <clears throat> verse 2. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as, as the light. Now, in the, um, in the book of Luke, 
we read, you know, the same story. I'm not going to turn there just yet. But if we're reading in the um, the ninth chapter, uh, it it says that um, that Jesus took his disciples up to the mountain to pray, and then the transfiguration effect happened after that. Uh, it's still the same thing, but just a little different way of wording it. And sometimes those different ways of wording uh, a subject help a person to see forensically some things that otherwise could be missed. Now. Let's go on here. Um, and there appeared unto them Moses, Elias, which really means, uh, if you get around the transliteration, it's actually Elijah. So Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, if it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was yet speaking and making his point, of course, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. Now, we want to find out in this tracks upon the mountain everything that can be discovered. We want to know all the things that we've already shared with you. And we want to know about this, this cloud. And we want to know about this voice. And we announced that that's what we were going to get into this week. So we're going to start off with the thing about the cloud. Because, believe me, uh, clouds seem to play a fairly prominent role throughout the Bible. And they can mean different things. A cloud in the Bible can mean just a regular, you know, cumulus cloud. Uh, or it can mean other things. And we, we want to talk about that. Now, it's um, interesting that right now there, is, there exists uh, quite a little bit of, um, of uh, UFO talk, uh, people who believe in you know, extraterrestrials and are looking for every uh, possibility to prove that they exist. Uh, and there are some strange type of cloud sightings that are taking place. I've seen the pictures of many of them. And, and for sure that they are strange. Uh, the people who are into the, uh, you know, uh, UFO thing, uh, they call them illuminated disc. And uh, they're like, uh, another name they call them is uh, halo clouds. Um, they call them dimensional portals, you know, or camouflages for uh, UFOs to hide in. These are the things that people who are talking about extraterrestrials are using uh, the terms to um, explain or describe these clouds. Uh, science, um, like the meteorologist, uh, they are saying, no, these are a particular kind of clouds called uh, lenticular clouds. And there is also what's called the hole punch cloud. And uh, they actually cover all the strange cloud formations that have been spotted all over the world and that people are calling 
these dimensional portals and illuminated discs and, and hail clouds and camouflage clouds and etc. So we have the ufologist on one side, we have the scientist, the meteorologist on the other side. What about the real? What is the real? We want to talk to you about the real. I want to talk to you about the kind of cloud that that is a divine cloud. And we want to explain how and why uh, this cloud name is given to them because it actually is a process that occurs uh, when uh, spiritual energy is being transferred from one point in time and space or one point in space location to another point uh, of space location. And um, it, it's interesting that um, Einstein, when he was looking at this thing called entanglement, and entanglement is where there is, for instance, let's say an atom that's at the other end of the universe, and there's an atom in this part of the universe, and they are trying to measure it. Well, measuring the atom uh, can cause an effect on the atom to change it so that uh, it it is not the same as it was. Uh, it could either be, you know, the re release of uh, ions or electrons or or something else that could occur because of being measured. But the interesting thing that entanglement says is that at the same time that this measurement effect is happening on the local uh, atomic mass, that all the way across the universe, the atomic mass or atom that is entangled with the atomic mass on this side of the universe will be affected in the same way as the local mass, atomic mass will be, because they are entangled. And so when we look at that, and Einstein said, called it a spooky happenings in faraway places. He called it spooky because it just seemed so incredible that something like that could happen because, you know, he's the one that came up with the constant of the speed of light. And if something... Uh, is measured here, and then instantly it affects something all the way across the universe, then there's no relativity of time, is there? It's instant. It deprives time, because it is a total, what the, the Holy Manifest teachings call, a holy, holy photo translation. So a holy photo translation can be instant. And that just is so exciting. So say that from the father's house, there was a, a, a gospel ship, and this gospel ship was going to travel through space. Um, in order to not travel the slow pace of the speed of light, uh, which can believe me take a long, long time, and like for instance, uh, they sent out Voyager 2, and it's been, um, uh, you know, on 
journey for 33 years. And they say it'll be another 42, 43,000 years before it'll even become, even come close to, to the nearest star. Uh, you get an idea that, that, uh, that traveling, and they, it's not traveling the speed of light, but even, I'm sure it's traveling at a good speed, that uh, there's a vast, different, a vast uh, space out there in the cosmos. <clears throat> so, uh, even though there is this instantaneous thing, there still has to be a conveyance, a conveyance of, of the energy that was there to come here. And, uh, and this is what we want to put under the real. Uh, we want to talk about, um, we want to talk about cloud-like vortexes of solidifications uh, that are from cellular uh, mythology. And uh, I'll try to not make this too complicated. It won't be a big, long thing here. But it's like uh, creating a kind of electron cloud uh, thick with uh, nuclear uh, filamentation. And uh, another scientific way of talking about it would be uh, nuclear uh, cellular morphology transduction. Uh, this uh, uh, morphological transduction uh, follows a transduction pathway, and uh, it um, it then, when reaching its location, creates an atomic uh, lanima, uh, lanima network or lattice. So uh, it is a photo translation of an atomic signal transduction uh, that is in a in in a kind of way connected to a nuclear entanglement signal uh, and this passes instantly through the quantum plasma membranes of space and it doesn't matter if there's a, a planet out there or if there's uh, you know a bunch of uh, meteorites uh, or whatever it is uh, this energy just passes right through them as though they were an open window so uh, that is the uh, the idea of of a polarizing uh, of the atomic spin to a particular atomic location. Uh, so so when we're talking about uh, the spirit of God, that wouldn't be uh, you know applicable. But when we're talking about the spirit of God moving physical bodies, that's the angels take physical bodies, and God's people have physical bodies. And and there there are uh, ziths which uh, <clears throat> the world calls flying saucers, uh, but we call them ziths, and they're physical. So when those physical bodies move, then then there is a uh, you know a a uh, membrane, and uh, that uh, uh, you know kind of uh, plasmic membrane uh, uh, has uh, filamentations. And then as it begins to come into its proper location, it begins to settle into the molecular pattern uh, that represents the model of what it is supposed to be. And whether it is an object or whether it is a person. Uh, and, and that is this whole process that, that we're talking about of the real, uh, the vortex of solidifications from cellular uh, morphology. So those things are extremely interesting, and uh, and they're real, because uh, you know when God moves, uh, you know in nature he he uses uh, the processes of nature, 
and uh, when he um, does things uh, for us physically, uh, he understands that that there are spiritual applications, but there are also needed physical applications. If he just healed only our spirit <clears throat> and did not heal our body when we needed healing, uh, then uh, uh, in the end, the body, the spirit would also be affected if if the uh, if the body could not um, re- maintain its health and keep alive. So uh, these things are are so very very important, and and uh, you know we, we're gonna we're, we're gonna get into this a little bit because <laughs> your eyes are gonna be open before we're through here. Uh, let's talk about the clouds. Let's talk about how many times have you heard Jesus is coming in the clouds? I'm sure you've heard that. Okay, let's just let's just look at that. Let's think about that. What it's really saying, and let's just think in terms of if clouds were just clouds. And they weren't anything like I'm saying here. <clears throat> but they were just clouds. Okay. Um, what, what, what would that mean? Okay. Well, uh, that would mean that uh, most clouds, uh, you know, uh, even when they're, they're blown by uh, fierce winds, <clears throat> they, have, they have a basic uh, certain speed. And, uh, and that is not very fast. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, it certainly, uh, wouldn't be very fast. It would be somewhere between two miles an hour to 60 plus miles an hour. Now, Jesus is coming in the clouds. And if he's traveling at the fastest extent that the clouds are going, uh, he would be, uh, uh, coming at 60 miles an hour. And that would certainly take a long time uh, to get around the earth and around the world and let everybody know that there was going to be a rapture or whatever you want to call it. And he'd send his different angels out and there he's Jesus is coming in the clouds. And if people get that idea that, you know, uh, <laughs> that it's just a regular cloud, uh, then that's where they've got him. They've got him uh, limited to traveling uh, anywhere from two miles to, uh, to um, you know, 60 miles. And that would totally be dependent on the wind, how, how hard the wind was blowing. Now, now what about height? Well, um, you know, uh, most clouds uh, that, that people see are, are only something like about uh, 4,000 feet. But uh, there are clouds that reach 10,000 to 23,000 feet. And uh, in the tropics, uh, they can reach twenty to 70,000 feet, which is over 10 miles high. That seems to be my evening sneeze for some reason. <clears throat> Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. Now, uh, if we look at that, we say Jesus is coming in the clouds, and we're forensically then trying to figure out where he came from. We say, well, clouds only go, even if it's in the tropics, fifty to 70,000 feet. So he would only be, you know, his kingdom would only be a little over 10 miles up in the sky. Uh, it would only, you know, be, uh, up to, and that would be if it was stationed over the tropics. And uh, <clears throat> are you catching on? Are you beginning to see that uh, some of these things are just idiotic? I mean, you, you have to understand when it says Jesus is coming in the clouds, uh, it certainly means something different than just natural clouds does not mean natural clouds. And uh, when we begin to understand the word of God and, and we put it into perspective, it, it just, it has some, uh, you know, to some real application. It's just like the same thing uh, when, 
you know, um, Moses uh, uh, put up his rod and uh, and the, and uh, to uh, be able to cross the Red Sea, and um, the children of Israel were able to go across on great on uh, uh, you know uh, dry land. Okay, what happened there? Well, the Bible says um, that uh, you know uh, uh, that there there was an eastern wind, and this eastern wind blew back the water, and uh, and and that that gets to be very very complicated. Because uh, if the uh, eastern wind, and if it was a literal eastern wind, and it was blowing back the water, okay, then east would be blowing west. If it came from the east, it would be blowing west. And so it would be blowing uh, the water, uh, and it could, you know, it said, it said that the river uh, stood up on, on end, uh, on one side, and then on the other side. <clears throat> well, it would be very difficult to think in terms of um of there being a um a situation where um the wind from the east could create what actually happened because when they walked through it it, it says that the river was a wall it was a wall on the right side and on the left side as they walked through now someone says well maybe it was just blowing right through the the middle of it and then, you know, there's enough wind that pushed the river uh, back on each side. Well, if you, you know, use any math or any real serious thought about that, uh, you would know that the wind would have to remain constant for the water to stay up. And if it's blowing through the middle, then there would be nobody with that kind of a wind that would be able to, to walk through to get to the other side of Jordan. And besides that, then the water on the east side and the west side uh, would become frayed and, and, and would be blown out across the land and, and it wouldn't really be standing up on edge like that. So, so what really did happen? Well, the Bible says that there, there was, you know, uh, this great thick light and that out of this light uh, there came a pillar. Now, we know and we understand that that great thick light and this idea of thick uh, a cloud, and that's used different times in the scripture, has to do with all these things I'm just talking about, this vortex of solidifications uh, from cellular mythology. And, and and this whole idea of the nuclear, uh, uh, you know, filamentation uh, that is a result of the nuclear cellular uh, morphological transduction and that these transductions uh, bring an atomic lamina into place that forms a network like a lattice, which our bodies have, are like physical lattices, you know, and, um, and we each have a lattice of our own. And and so we are the result of all those those kind of things, and uh, and yes, uh, there is a rem uh, an after effect that happens uh, a polarizing uh, of the atomic spin uh, to a particular atomic uh, uh, location and setting uh, for uh, every uh, event and how it is to happen, but the thing of it is, when this pillar came down, uh, and the Bible says in, in the book of John. Uh, that God is light. And then in another scripture in the book of John, it says God is love. So we know that God is two things. God is love, God is light. Now, this this um, physical machine, this zith, huge zith that could have been many, many miles uh, long, 
is uh, is uh, traveling with the children of Israel and is, is is going before them and behind them, protecting them from the uh, army of Pharaoh that that uh, is uh, has six hundred top uh, uh, chariot charioteers, uh, chariot soldiers with with all the training, and uh, and the the children of Israel, even though they far outnumber those six hundred men, and even though they have weapons, they're terrified because they know uh, how powerful uh, the weaponry of uh, the the chariot uh, war makers can be. So um, they're very afraid. And the pillar of light, with this this cloud, thick cloud, and bright cloud, is 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 making it seem like darkness to Pharaoh's army, but making it seem like light uh, to the the people of Israel. And and when it it beams itself its light down, uh, which is like a ray of light, uh, which has an energy force uh, into the to the river, uh, it spreads out at least a hundred feet and and uh when it spreads out a hundred feet um on each side of that of that ray uh a a a a great pouring of um of uh ray tones or or you could call it uh uh you know uh electron wind or whatever you want to call it uh comes out the sides and blows back each side of the river. And then in the middle there, there's a hundred feet uh, where uh, the people can walk through without being affected by that 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 electron wind, uh, because because it is in this in the center of this great uh, pillar coming down from the center of the the uh, zith, and that's how they were able to get across the Red Sea. And that's how it happened. And all these other ideas of how they happened, uh, happened is ridiculous. One of the reasons why some of the scientists come up with the idea, well, you know, this uh, really means, uh, you know, the the uh, uh, river are, are of reeds. And uh, <clears throat> they say that there was a place and it's just mostly all weeds and, and reeds. And that's how they got over it and across and uh, but it's interesting that they they didn't drown, but then all the the, the chariots of uh, Pharaoh did, uh, and uh, uh, it's only when the light was pulled back from the zith uh, and all the water was coming over that uh, that the people of Pharaoh saw what was happening, and in the scripture, and you can check it out yourself, Exodus fourteen nineteen. The people of the Pharaoh and his and his uh, uh, charioteers, his chariot soldiers, they said uh, uh, as they start seeing what, uh, their their chariots being tossed over and 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 the the water starting to come down, they they begin to realize they said God is fighting for the children of Israel. God is fighting. They recognized what was happening. They recognized it was divine. They recognized it was a divine thing that was happening. Uh, let, let me just take a break here and read it. You know, uh, uh, that's um, uh, uh, Exodus fourteen nineteen. Let me just read a little of it. Uh, that's not exactly the subject we're on, but you know, we're on the forensic thing, and 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 it all ties in to to show that uh, that there are so many explanations that are are feasible, that are possible, uh, if if God will allow those things to to be uh, ex, you know uh, examined. So in the uh, 
the 14th uh, chapter, the 19th verse in, in Exodus, it says, and, and the angel of God went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud uh, went uh, from before their face and stood behind them. It came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these. Now, I used the figure 100 just as, as a figure. It, it could have been a 1,000 feet, but I just used that as, as, uh, as a, a simple, uh, uh, you know, uh, detonation number uh, to, to uh, uh, you know, set fire to the point. So, um, um, uh, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. Now, what it's talking about there, the strong east wind, it's, it's talking about the, the mighty resurrection power. Uh, the east is the symbol of the resurrection. And, and, um, uh, and so, and this, this holy wind, holy ghost wind, you know, there came a mighty rushing wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. That happened on the day of Pentecost. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and uh, pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen came to pass in the morning watched that the Lord looked into the host of the Egyptians through through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and he troubled the host of Egypt. And he looked through that, see, mm -hmm. isn't that interesting? And he took off their chariot wheels that they drave, that as they drove them heavily so that the Egyptians uh, said, let us free let us flee from the from 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 the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's the really true story. I know a lot of people may not want to believe that, you know, that there's physical uh, spaceships that, that the angels use and drive in, uh, but that is just an absolute fact, and it's been going on for a lot of years, because when the angels of the Lord reveal themselves into humans, uh, they don't come in a spirit form, like an apparition, that's very, very rare that anything like that happens. They take on a physical body. And and that physical body is of the nature that it can sit down, it can talk with the person like it did with Abraham, uh, like the three angels that came and visited Abraham. They had physical bodies. They had physical clothes. Uh, they ate physical food. And, and that's the conveyance. That's how it works. And so uh, that's also true of of the uh, transportation that they use. They use physical transportation, uh, far advanced from anything that uh, is known or understood by the military, uh, you know, uh, uh, people and armies of this world. Okay, so much for that. Let's let's uh, let's keep moving on because uh, we've got a lot to cover. But we're beginning to get the idea about this thick cloud. This thick cloud is representing, you know, this effect that happens when the phototranslation takes place from one part of the universe or from one far out place in space to another place local. And and and, uh, and it travels like a ray. And then as it reach, reaches the destination, uh, it, it, it begins to solidify and it begins to uh, create a nuclear uh, filamentation uh, and through the process of uh, uh, a morphological transduction, uh, 
it it begins to reform uh, the original lattice of the individual uh, and what that individual was like or the object was like before it moved uh, as a ray through space. Okay, I th I think you're getting it. I think you're getting it. Okay, we'll leave it there, and let's move on because there's so much to do. Now you got the thing that I said that if Jesus is coming in the clouds, and the clouds, you know, only travel two miles uh, to sixty miles an hour, it's going to be a long, long trip, and they only reach you know, usually around 4,000 feet high, but they do can reach, uh, depending on the kind of clouds they are, 10,000 to 20,000 to 23,000 feet. And if they're over the tropics, they can sometimes reach 50 to 70,000 feet. And that would be how far up, a little over 10,000 miles to where, where uh, the abode of, of, uh, of the Lord would be. And that's just ridiculous. So get out of this thing about clouds and understand they can mean different things. A cloud in the Bible can mean a literal cloud, or it can mean Shekinah glory, or it can mean a spaceship. And and uh, you need to get that down and understand that because that is what the Bible is talking about. Now, uh, let's, let's just look at something. Uh, <clears throat> we know that this thing about coming in the clouds and traveling at the speed of a cloud is false. Because Jesus said in Matthew twenty four twenty seven, For as the lightning comes out of the east, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Now the, the speed of lightning is the speed of light. So he's saying, you know, it's going to be like the speed of light when the Son of Man comes. It's going to be just like instant. And and uh, and then he also said uh, in Luke ten eighteen, I beheld Satan fall from heaven as lightning. So we see that this uh, uh, transition and and transduction from one part of space and time to another part of space and time is 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 a uh, you know at least at the slowest a speed of light transition, and and that's Bible. Turn with me to Isaiah uh, sixty uh, eight. 60 verse 8, Isaiah, 60 verse 8. And I want to uh, read, uh, you know, something interesting uh, in that in that uh, particular uh, book and, and chapter. Isaiah 60 and verse 8, okay? I'm going to just, I'm going to start with uh, 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 chapter 60, verse 1. Arise and shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. This day is that scripture being fulfilled to you. This day is that scripture being fulfilled to you. These teachings are full of the the shining of the light of God. And and they're full of the glory of the Lord. And and this word is risen up from, from uh, those secret hidden places uh, that have been under the veil. And, and there is a great and gross darkness out there. And it's going to continue and cover the earth. Uh, but the Lord has determined by the destiny of, of his choice for you to hear this word, uh, to uh, 
cause you the Lord to arise upon you and his glory to be seen upon you. Blessed be the name of God. And the promise is, you don't have to be a Jew, a natural born Jew. You can be a spiritual Jew, but you, you don't have to be Jew. You can even be a Gentile, verse 3, because the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Now let's skip down to verse verse 8. And the question is this, who are these that fly as a cloud and as doves to their windows? I want to tell you that that question is directly for you. That question is directly for the people who want to overcome, who want to get out of the rut <clears throat> of uh, the distilled waters that have all the minerals taken out of them and that are so sterile that there's nothing in there but only the water and all the other good things are missing. Um, God is asking the question to you today as we begin to go through this word. Who are these that fly as a cloud? Fly as a cloud. Is, is we talking the two miles an hour? You know, the 60 miles an hour cloud, the regular clouds? Absolutely not. We're talking about the clouds that only can reach up to about 10,000 feet? Absolutely not. We're talking about thick cloud. We're, we're talking about planetomes that, in, in, that are called clouds, but they're called pavilions. And these pavilions are actually planetomes. We'll talk more about that later. But I'll tell you what, it's exciting, isn't it? Absolutely exciting. Who are these that fly? as a cloud. Well, let's just look at some of the, uh, of the cloud scriptures. <clears throat> Jeremiah 14, 13. Uh, he shall come as clouds, and his chariots shall be as a whirlwind, his horses swifter than eagles. Now keep that in mind about his chariots uh, uh, shall be as whirlwinds. Uh, we'll find that to be very connective and very interesting. But he's coming. He's coming as clouds, and his chariot shall be as whirlwinds. Wow. Jeremiah uh, 4.16. Watchers, and this, this is connected in the same chapter with verse 13. Watchers come from a far country, and they give out their voice as keepers of the field. And they are, they are, are against... Uh, her around about is talking about the people of Israel that have done wrong because she has been rebellious against the Lord. So this has got to do with the good watchers, not the bad watchers, the good watchers. And this has got to do with these people who are coming from afar. And, 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 and you know, they come, as, they come as clouds. And they're not talking about the kind of clouds that, you know, are cumulus clouds. They're not talking about these UFO type of cloud things that, that the people that are into ufology are looking at. They're talking about the real thing. They're talking about, you know, photo translation. Wow. Numbers 11.25. The Lord came down in a cloud. Numbers 12.5. He came down in the pillar of a cloud. Wow. Yes, and clouds can represent also Shekinah glory, but not every cloud is Shekinah glory. Okay, let's keep rolling here. This is coming on. 
tell you, there's there's some interesting stuff for you here. This is a extremely interesting deep time, you know. Exodus fourteen nineteen. The cloud went before their face. Wow. Let me let me let me turn to this. Um, let's turn to this. Exodus fourteen nineteen. Uh, we were over there, but let's there's something else to read. Evidently, got a couple notes here, and uh, we don't want to miss anything because this is our chance to uh, enlighten you with all the scriptural information. You know, so we're looking at uh, fourteen nineteen, and uh, and we read that to you about the angel of the Lord before the camp uh, before the camp. Uh, of the Israel, but uh, <clears throat> it, it also mentions verse, uh, uh, looks like 20, 24, 26. Um, uh, and the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again uh, upon the Egyptians and their horses. See, God does these miracles, but he allows them uh, to happen through his ministers. He allows his ministers to have control over these incredible, miraculous things. And then let's look at um, uh, chapter 13, 21. Let's see if I've made that note right. 13, 21. Um, and um, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. And he took not away, he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And if you think that that's a regular cloud, then pray. Just pray. Pray that God will open your mind and open your heart and open your eyes. That's, that's all I can tell you, because that obviously is not a regular cloud. I've seen the the pillar. I've seen it more than once. I, I've had an experience with this this uh, pillar of light that comes down fr from from a a special cloud, a uh, thick cloud that we call a zith. And it quite it has quite the effect on a person when you see something like that. Now Exodus sixteen verse ten talks about the glory of the Lord appears in a cloud. Now. I don't think that, you know, it's talking about by any means a physical cloud out there that the glory of the Lord appeared in it. Uh, it's talking about something quite different. Uh, Exodus 19.6 I come unto you in a thick cloud. There's a special kind of cloud. And it's along the lines of those, you know, solidification, filamentations, you know, the, the morphological induction type of thing, uh, transduction rather type of thing I was talking about. And uh, it's, it's quite a beautiful thing. Uh, Exodus 24, uh, uh, 16, Moses went into the midst of the cloud, went to the midst of the cloud, went to the midst of the ship. Uh, Exodus 34, 5, the Lord descended in the cloud. Um, uh, Exodus 40, 35, the cloud of the Lord. Isaiah 19, 1, the Lord rideth upon a thick cloud. Isaiah forty four twenty one through twenty four, 
Uh, and this is sort of neat. He blotted out their sins as a thick cloud. Anytime you get to thinking that this thing about the the ministry of, of the angels in Zeus, uh, the Bible says in, in the book of Revelations that the angels would preach the everlasting gospel in the skies. And that is the word of the Lord, and that is the will of God, and that is the plan of God, that angels would preach the everlasting gospel in the skies. And so it's all part of the fulfillment of this scripture that I just read to you right here, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I just think that is so important. Isaiah forty four twenty one through twenty four uh, about sins being blotted out as a thick cloud because it's that ministry of the clouds that has an awful lot to do about many many things. Even when Jesus was going through the incredible moment of of uh, being, um, you know. Um, betrayed by Judas before that happened and his disciples you know could hardly keep awake an angel appeared from heaven uh, and and strengthened Jesus so th this ministry thing of the angels from heaven the angels that are traveling in the ziths uh, is going on all the time they are the watchers they they are the good watchers and and they're involved uh in ministry and in helping the human race and and in looking out for the human race and definitely involved and interested in redemption okay now let's just move on here uh, a few more cloud things so we don't want to bore you on the cloud subject but it's important uh, and I'm going to do some reading here, uh, you know, um, Psalms 18, 11 through 12. He rode upon a cherub and did fly upon the wind, uh, upon the wind, the pavilion around about, which we call a planetome, uh, were dark waters, which means energies and thick clouds. Uh, Psalms 97, 2, clouds and darkness are around about him. Just a verification of the same thing on the, on the planetome or the pavilion. Uh, you know, this is real structure. What we call planetome is something that would be huge. Uh, it, would, it would be uh, like a very small planet uh, that was actually a spaceship. Uh, looked like a planet. It was a sphere, and it traveling through space and time. And we call those planetomes. It's is com complete livable uh, world uh, that can move uh, from one point of space to another point of space. Called planetomes are in the Bible here called pavilions. Uh, very very interesting. Turn with me to Ezekiel one. I'll read some more scripture here. So so many important things we want to share. So much to get to. But hang and hold, people. Hang and hold. Don't uh, don't give up the ghost on me. You know, we we got some uh, really, really important stuff to cover and we don't want we don't want you to miss out and I'm I'm trying to you know, give you enough scripture to fire you up and and, and you know, give you something in your hands to, to prove uh, uh, the power of God. Okay, now in Ezekiel uh, 1, uh, you know, uh, let's look at, um, uh, let's see, actually we should look at verse 4. And I looked and I beheld a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was around about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Now, Ezekiel has this experience. 
in which he beholds this whirlwind coming out of the north. That is such an interesting uh, scripture because um, if we would, would take that scripture and show it to be the language of the Bible, for instance, let's uh, don't lose your place in Ezekiel. We're going to come back to it. But go backwards in the Bible to 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And let me, let me read you what that says, and we'll see a really uh, interesting connection here that's very important. Okay, Second uh, Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and here is what it says. And it came to pass that when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal, now, what was happening is uh, Elijah was trying to get Elisha uh, to go off in town and go over uh, and join with the other prophets so that he could be alone uh, when this event took place. But Elisha determined that he would not leave him at all. And, uh, and Elisha said to, uh, Eli, you know, to, to, uh, to Elijah, uh, as the Lord liveth, this is in verse uh, 2, uh, uh, and as my, thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel together. And it wasn't long after that, uh, in verse 11, as they, they were walking along and talking, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So the terminology of whirlwind uh, literally means, literally means the chariots of fire, which are the spacecraft. So when Ezekiel has this uh, vision and he's talking about this whirlwind that he saw, in the language of the Bible, the whirlwind is actually talking about, you know, uh, it's actually talking about, about and, and it's a scripture, and I've, I've just proved it to you by the scripture, uh, the chariots of God, which are another way of saying the vehicular uh, uh, transports uh, uh, that God is using, which we call this. Now, let's go on with Ezekiel and just see how it proves itself out, because it's very, very clear. So let's look at verse 4 again, Ezekiel chapter 1. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Uh, and also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. Now it's interesting that if you read this carefully, uh, that there is this, like this nuclear uh, morphological transduction that is taking place and, and this whirlwind effect that is happening. And then all of a sudden it begins to, to uh, uh, have a brightness and the color of amber as it begins to come into a solidification of lattice filamentations. And, uh, and then suddenly out of the midst thereof begins to be uh, a, a lattice uh, 
creatures that that, that are, uh, uh, you know, uh, become embodied. Uh, and it says, and out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance, that each had the likeness of a man. And everyone had uh, four faces, and everyone had four wings. And their feet were straight, and the soles of their feet uh, were like the soles of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of varnished brass. And they had hands under their wings. And and then it goes on and and if and if you if you keep re, uh, reading, uh, you know, um, uh, it it says uh, like for instance, um, verse twelve, and they went every one straight forward, and whether the spirit was to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. As for their likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and the appearance of lamps as it went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright. Now the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. And I beheld the living creatures, uh, beholds uh, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures and its four faces. Now we've done a teaching on who these four faces represent, the four kinds of humanity and all of that. And I don't have the time, uh, you know, to go all through that again. But it's very, very obvious that we're talking a craft that these uh, creatures have been, uh, you know, uh, transducted uh, in, into and, and solidified back into their materialized body forms and uh, and that there is and, and that this whole thing about uh, the whirlwind is involved in the process that brings that uh, transduction of, of the morphological uh, filamentation experience uh, to a materialization of the body that they once had and 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 brings it back as it was supposed to because it's in a state of phototranslation and as it is translated then that happens now phototranslation is not a lot different than when the bible talks about that uh, that uh, he talks about uh, in the new testament about that enoch was translated uh, and so transfiguration, translated, uh, it's all the, the language of the Bible. It's all about these deep and wondrous, uh, you know, experiences that have to do of, of alterations and changes. So it's just absolutely exciting. Okay, now we know, and I read to you already, that in Luke 9, 34, 35, I uh, read the counterpart of this in, in, in Matthew 17, that on the Mount of Transfigure, uh, a cloud overshadowed uh, the uh, Peter, James, and John. And um, uh, in Luke 21, 27, uh, it talks about uh, the coming of the Son of Man. Now notice that most of these scriptures, it doesn't say the coming of the Son of God, it talks about the coming of the Son of Man. And that's because uh, John chapter 1 says, the Word was made flesh. You know, and, and and the word was made flesh. It became a man, uh, you know, a human, uh, a mortal. And um, uh, when Jesus was taken up, uh, he had a physical body, and uh, and he's coming back. As he left, he said he's going to return return in that physical body. So so that's why he's called the Son of Man, uh, because he is expressing, uh, you know, this whole ministry uh, through the physical body, uh, because it is a means and a method of being able to communicate with the humans, and 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 to and to be able to communicate within the uh, the galaxy and the universal realms uh, that uh, that uh, he lives in and we live in. 
Okay. Now, uh, <clears throat> uh, we, we want to look at um, 1 Corinthians 10.1. Um, let's turn to that. 1 Corinthians 10.1. We've got a lot of scriptures, and we've got to turn to some of them because it's just uh, too much reading to just uh, make a little point of. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.1. Okay, let's see what this says here. Uh, something good. Who oh, no. Moreover, brethren, I would now that you should be, you should, I would now that you should be, uh, I would not, pardon me. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, I hope you're beginning to get this thing of this cloud being this, this like uh, great spacecraft and, and, and the fathers passed under the cloud and all passed through the sea, being totally in relativity to the fact that the cloud was there and had everything to do with it. And then let's go on, verse 2. And were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, <clears throat> I want to share something with you. And I, we read this thing about how the cloud is involved in, in you know, the, the factors of redemption and angels preaching the everlasting gospel to the skies. But... Note here in verse two that the people were baptized uh, by the sea, which was the which was as the winds were blowing. There's always a certain amount of spray that is going through the air, and as this spray came down upon the children of of, of Israel as they were crossing through uh, the 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 width of that pillar uh, that was within the ray wind blast that was holding back uh, the the rivers on both the the uh, the right side and the left side or the east and west side uh that they were being sprayed and that's and as being sprayed they were they were getting a literal baptism but it wasn't only a baptism that they were receiving that had to do uh with that physical sea baptism but they were also baptized to Moses in the cloud they were baptized to Moses in the cloud. Now, now this is so absolutely important uh, when you understand that that uh, as we had ministered over the last few weeks, that that Moses was given a covenant, and he was responsible for these, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of of Israelites uh, that had been the the uh, soldiers of war uh, they had also served as slaves in Egypt and and uh, they were not going to be allowed they were all going to die within the 40 years and of being in the wilderness and not be allowed to cross over to the other side and he was responsible for all them and here we see God knowing all those things baptized those people uh, not only by the sea and the action of what was happening but baptized them unto Moses uh, through through the power uh, of not not the sea, but the power of the cloud, which was the 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 ship ministry, and and then you see why the connection when John and Peter and, and James are on the mountain, this cloud is back, it's there again, because it's all part of that ministry, it's all tied into that 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 experience, because it's all part of a great a gospel plan, all part of a great revelation. It's, it's a destiny that, that cannot just be tossed out. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's the message of the angels uh, speaking to us, uh, strengthening us, giving us power to overcome uh, uh, through, through the blood life of Jesus Christ. 
Ah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Okay, and, and uh, did all eat the same spiritual meat, verse 3, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drink of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And, of course, this was the spiritual Selah rock, Jesus Christ. And, and so this whole episode of crossing that Red Sea, of being baptized under that, that, that great uh, pillar of light and, and cloud that was a, was the Zith, the spacecraft, uh, you know, that, that it was all tied into these baptisms, and these baptisms were all involved in a spiritual meet. And this spiritual meat was also a, a, a spiritual drink, and and they were all caused to drink of that spiritual drink, uh, uh, and it was all tied in through Moses as being a representative uh, to the rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Wow, I just find that so absolutely super exciting. It is just uh, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. Oh, it, it's incredible. Uh, let's see. Let's see if I'm missing something. This keeps wanting to bring me back to Exodus 14. This is Exodus 14, 22. I guess I better turn back there again. Uh, make sure I'm not missing something. Ex Exodus 14, 22. I know we just got through reading back there a couple of times. 14:22. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters uh, were, were a wall unto them on the right hand and on the left hand. And that's just verified uh, that particular statement. Okay, let's keep moving. This is really, really something. Okay. Uh, when the angel spoke to John in the book of Revelations 12, uh, uh, 11, 12, Revelations 11, verse 12, he said, Come up hither, uh, ascend, uh, uh, in a cloud to heaven. Uh, this thing about the cloud isn't going to go away. It's all the way into the book of Revelations, you know. Uh, Revelations 14, 14 through 16. Revelations 14, 14 through 16. A white cloud upon which set one like unto the Son of Man is depicted in, in that group of scriptures. Okay, uh, Psalms eighteen, eighteen, twelve. He rode upon a cherub and did fly upon the wind of the pavilion. I read this to you before, but we read it again uh, about him. Uh, and there were dark, wa dark waters, which are energies and thick clouds. Um, okay, uh, Psalms one hundred and four, three. Uh, who makes the cl the the clouds his chariots? Makes the clouds. Now, when you understand this thing that I was talking about about the sublimation, about the filamentation, about the morphological transduction uh, that, that is a process uh, uh, of atomic polarization and spin of bringing uh, a, a rematerialization uh, back after it has dematerialized, passed through uh, a space and time as a ray, uh, then it's rematerialized, uh, that, that, that this is all part of making the clouds to be the chariot. This is the this is the uh, materialization, uh, rematerialization of of the ship. The ship has become just uh, just uh, you know travel through space as a ray, and then when it reaches its certain destination, then it, then is it is photo translated uh, back into being the ship and made into the chariot or the ship again, and uh, that is just uh, you know uh, super exciting and, and super interesting. But you know it's here in this incredibly wonderful Bible, you know, 
it's credit. You know, it's just, it's just. Uh, it just it's just beautiful. That was Psalms 104.3, who makes the clouds his chariots. Now, listen to this one about Lucifer. Listen how Lucifer understood the power of these of these uh these ships and, and these this. Uh in Isaiah fourteen fourteen, a Lucifer, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Uh that was his plan. He saw that he saw that if he was going to ever have any power, he had to he had to be greater than 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 the power of these these ships and what they represented. He had to he had to raise above them, and, and that became his his uh, plan. Uh, and we can see that you know he understood the thing on the clouds. I mean that that was obvious to him, and it was definitely a part of his deepest plan to overcome. Uh, that whole force of the power of God, because we're dealing, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget it. You know, this isn't a battle of just flesh and blood. It's about powers and principalities of, of darkness and light, you know, and that's just an important thing. Okay. Uh, and in Daniel seven thirteen, I saw in the night vision, one like the son of man come with the clouds of heaven. I mean, it's all through the Bible. Come on. Come with the clouds of heaven. Do we have them back on the clouds that are, you know, like, you know, a, a few hundred feet up or a few thousand feet up and traveling about, uh, you know, uh, 10 or, or 20 miles or 60 miles an hour? <laughs> you know, uh, I hope not. I hope you begin to get this this other story, this other revelation uh, and, and all the greatest uh, prophets and all the greatest men. Like was, man, uh, uh, Daniel was a man of uh, great uh, knowledge and he was even uh, considered a, uh, to be a scientist. And, and uh, you know, he, he saw that revelation. Matthew twenty four thirty, the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. Mark thirteen twenty six. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Uh, Mark fourteen sixty two. Um, you see on the throne uh, and the coming of the in, and you see Christ sitting on the throne and coming in the clouds of heaven. First uh, Thessalonians four seventeen. Uh, you will be caught up. Uh, we'll be caught up together uh, uh, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air or in space. Okay, Revelations 1, 7. He cometh with clouds. I, I hope that, that that sort of gets you set up on this thing, you know, when we start talking about what was the cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, the cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration and the clouds uh, on, on um, uh, you know, um, Horeb and, and uh, uh, Sinai, uh, those, those, those were, you know, um, those were exists, and they they were they were uh, and some of them you know could have been planetomes, but they they belonged uh, to to uh, the the angels of God who were watchers and 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 they belonged also to other agencies that uh, uh, the Shinons and so forth that we've explained to you in in these teachings, and it's very very important that 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 uh, you stop listening to these people that just make fun about these uh, kind of uh, ships. And, you know, uh, it's unfortunate that we've got so many people out there, uh, you know, believing uh, uh, in, uh, things that, that, that are not uh, true and that are, that are not real. Uh, that is uh, very, very sad. You know, there's a lot of substal, uh, substal uh, manipulation 
of the Bible's text and the way of storytelling that uh, gets around uh, really uh, telling, you know, the whole truth and not, nothing but the truth. And a lot of confusion, uh, you know, that that uh, that happens out there. Okay, uh, we want to get into uh, uh, some other things here. There, you know, I just can't believe how fast time is flying here. And I have an awful lot to cover that's really, really important. Um, let's, um, let's, um, uh, let's take a look at... Um, Exodus three uh, one, go back to Exodus three one, and you'll see eventually why I'm getting to all these scriptures, how they apply to the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, because they do they do give us some real information, uh, you know, the forensic information that we need uh, to really you know get the uh, story one. Okay, Exodus three one. <clears throat> now Moses kept the flock of of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now, um, take note that it was an angel, okay? And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and, and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Now, we've got, it seems to be like almost three entities. We've got the angel of the, angel of the Lord. And then um, in verse 4, uh, we've got the Lord, the Lord saw. And then we've got, and God called unto him. Uh, so we, we want to use these verses to help you understand uh, how God is represented and how that uh, sometimes when uh, a certain entity is used, uh, even if that entity says, thus saith the Lord, I say to you, do this and do that, uh, we have to understand that it's not any different than like prophecy. Like in prophecy, uh, when people get up and they prophesy, and I'll just use the old English jargon, uh, you know, the old English, uh, where they say, Thus saith the Lord uh, thy God, thou shalt go into a city, or thou shalt not this, or thou shalt not that. Uh, they say, Thus saith the Lord God. So they put, if, if people didn't understand the gift of prophecy, they would, would say, What did you say? He said, Thus saith the Lord God. Are you claiming that you are the Lord God? And the person say, no, no, I'm, I'm speaking the gift of prophecy. The Holy Spirit is speaking through me the words of God. I am representing uh, the message that God wants to speak through my temple. He's using my temple, my tabernacle to speak through. And that's what's happening. And we must not forget that example, that a lot of times an angel can represent uh, the Lord, can represent God, uh, or there's just all kinds of different, uh, you know, different connections there that... Uh, you know, that that can be. Um, in verse 6, it says, Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Moses. And, and his face, um, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, Moses didn't always understand what was going on either, because he heard this saying and uh, what that all was. And, uh, and uh, I am come down to deliver... You know, these uh, people that are in Egypt under affliction, uh, 
you know, uh, out of the hands of the Egyptians, he says in verse uh, 8, 7 and 8. And then in verse um, uh, 14, he says, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Now, in the um, uh, manifest uh, interpretation of the Tetragonetian, uh, it we interpret it, I am and I am, which is 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 perfect uh, Hebrew uh, translation. And uh, uh, it's very, very important uh, as to what the meaning of that is. I'm not going to go into it today, but if you're interested, you can find it in our blog sections. And you can read that whole beautifully uh, descriptive word uh, that will tell you a lot about manifest teachings that we do. Okay, now uh, let's go to Joshua 5. Joshua 5. Hang in there. We're going to get there. We've got, we got a lot to cover. This is, you know, this is heavy stuff because it, it is connected to, to so many, uh, you know, deep and far out things. Now let's look at, at Joshua 5, okay? And... Uh, you know, here we here we go, <clears throat> and we want to look at. Uh, we'll start with verse two. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, "Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time." And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. Now, <laughs> I've. I've seen where they have actually translated this at the hill of the foreskin as being the name of a town. Uh, and it's all the more power to them. But if someone was being translated the second time, uh, was being circumcised the second time, the, the foremost part of the skin would already have been removed. And so in order to, uh, to uh, circumcise him the second time, you would be taking that all of the way back. Uh, you know, and and uh, this would be a fairly good de description uh, to say at the hill of the foreskin, because that would be at the at the place where the foreskin uh, rises uh, on the penis, and and so that would make uh, you know the second uh, uh, you know uh, time it says that the circumcision was to take place, the second circumcision. Now, what is this all about? A second circumcision. And Joshua, I uh, see, uh, verse 4. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now, all the people that came out were, were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, uh, as they came forth uh, out of Egypt, uh, them uh, they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were, were uh, consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us a land that flowed with milk and honey. And their children whom their, now get a hold of this one, and their children whom he raised up in their stead. Them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. So what it amounts to is they were given a double circumcision. And one was for themselves 
and the other one was a circumcision for all their fathers that had died and were not able to uh, cross over the Jordan. And and this is because Joshua understood. He understood this thing of Moses. Hold on. That's my second sneeze. <laughs> Excuse me. Praise God. Okay. Here we go. So so this this thing, I mean, the scripture keeps coming up, see. The scripture keeps verifying because it does say circumcise them again, you see. So you, if you circumcise someone again, <laughs> you know, and then it makes it even clearer the second time. Now, I know you can maybe translate that all kinds of different ways, but to me, it's an incredible revelation. And it's a revelation verifying this whole thing about how that, the, the Lord spoke to Moses, and Moses corresponded to it, and he says, you know, this covenant that I'm making for these for these people are not only ones that are here now present and hearing what I'm saying, but it's for the people that are not pr present also. This includes all of those people, and, and we made that very clear in a lot of the scripture we gave you to show why Moses uh, was chosen to go and to be on the mount. Why he had a, he had a job there. The, that job, uh, you know, was connected to to uh, Jesus Christ, and you're going to see how important that this is in a little bit as we get into a, some other parts of this uh, revelation here tonight. And and you know, if I have to, I may have to go just a little bit longer. I don't know, but I have to finish this because this is really important. Okay, now um, let's let's go on into this chapter. And. Uh, and and one of the reasons in the ninth verse it said that this was done is because it would roll away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Uh, wherefore, the name of that place is called Gilgal. And to this day, Gilgal is another name for wheel. Okay, now verse uh, 12. Uh, let's see. No, no. Uh, verse 13. And it came to pass. Now get on to this one. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him. Now, one thing, Joshua wasn't a scaredy cat. You know, uh, he, he, he saw this man with a sword and, and uh, probably a pretty powerful looking guy. And so he went out there to meet him. And, uh, and um, you know, and, and so, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us? or for our adversaries. And this man said unto him, Nay. Now, you know, that's, he didn't say, you know, I'm for you, I'm not for them. He just said nay. Because, you know, he really wasn't for neither one of them. Uh, he was for, for, for fulfilling what the will of God was. You know, and then so he explained what his call was. He said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servants? And the captain of the Lord's, Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereupon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, in the prior place that we read to you in Exodus, we have this angel that tells Moses to, you know, to take off his shoe. Uh, because the ground he's standing on is is holy. And this angel is like angel, plus then there's the angel of the Lord, plus then there's God. And here we see that there is this uh, particular angel 
who calls himself the captain of the Lord's host. And, and, um, and he is given the same instruction about loosening the shoe and you're standing on holy ground. So there is a connection between those two experiences and there is a connection to, to the Mount of Transfiguration with this, which we will get into as we move on up the ladder of this story. So, so the captain of the Lord's host means that this person was an archangel. He, he's an archangel. Uh, this there, there's more than one use of the word captain. Captain uh, can also apply like it does to the Artesians uh, as uh, pilots or engines, uh, they call them. But in this particular case, when they added the rest of it, the, the captain of the Lord's host, then that shows that they're a principality, and a principality or prince then is, is, is an archangel. So, so uh, very likely... Uh, it was an archangel that was uh, there at that time that um, that Moses uh, came behind the desert uh, and over to the mount, saw the burning bush, and 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 saw and this angel began to talk to him. And this angel, uh, being a, an archangel, had all of the authority and all the power to be able to represent, uh, you know, uh, the Lord, to be able to represent God, and that's what was going on. And so we need to understand that as we get into these uh, uh, stories and we read. Uh, about uh, things happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is how the Bible works. This is the language of the Bible. It, it's, it's how it works. Okay? So it's, uh, it's very, very interesting and, and very powerful. Okay, let's keep going on. We've got to keep moving here. We've got to keep moving. Okay. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Now, we want to talk about uh, the conversation of Moses and Elijah with Jesus. Uh, so, uh, let's, we're going to turn now back, uh, let's turn to, uh, it'll be, we'll be reading between Luke 9.31 and, and, and Matthew 17. Turn with me to the book of Luke uh, 9.31. Okay. Now they're up on the mountain of transfiguration, you know, and um, uh, <clears throat> and we're gonna we're gonna see several things. It says in verse uh, 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 twenty nine, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Okay, now, I, I hope that you heard that and you got that. We want, we want to talk about the conversation. What did they talk about? Someone says, well, it's obvious. We know what they talked about. They talked about the decease of Jesus. And they talked about, you know, that he was going to die. And so here's Moses, and here's and here's Elijah, you know, and and uh, so what have they come to do? Have they come to uh, to comfort uh, Jesus? Now you know you're going to die, and that's going to be a real tough deal. And uh, we just uh, here on the mount, we want to come to encourage you in this decease that's going to happen to you. And, and and was that what they talked about? Was this the great moment on the mount? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, and, and, and millions of people have, have been uh, led astray on this, partially because of the translation. 
and 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 that that is very very sad, uh, because this word decease is very sad. It's taken from the Greek word, and it's spelled almost the same as as the Hebrew Exodus. You know, Exodus is E X O D U S, and this word is spelled E X O D O S, and it actually means the same thing. It means exit. And and the word that it really means is exit or departing. So so what it is really saying is that behold there talked with him two men, and uh, and it says they spake of his departing, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem, and, and this thing of departing is the real revelation, and we're going to get into that because that is so vital. And it's not talking about, you know, his, his death. And that's what the whole, a lot of the whole Christian world has done. You know, they've got Jesus still on the cross. They've got Jesus still in the grave. And then they finally get him out, but he, not until he's gone through so much uh, torture and hell and punishment, you know. But Jesus did say, no man can take my life from me. He said, no human being has the power to take my life. Jesus did did say that. And, and and so we have to believe that, and I believe that. No, no man. And the Bible does say that Jesus gave up the ghost. He, of his own accord, gave up the ghost. He was directing his life and his spirit. And to the thief on the cross, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. And that is a very, 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 very important connection here that we want to make, how that Jesus was controlling. He knew what was going on. He knew what he was doing. And this whole thing that was happening on the cross, this whole thing that was that was happening uh, with with um, these, these episodes that were following one after another was all understood by Jesus that they would happen and he told his disciples these things were going to happen but he also told them that he would rise and, and, and he would meet them in Galilee and, and the other thing is that was very important the Bible says that God would not suffer not allow his Holy One to, to, to suffer corruption so what that means is that uh, his body uh, would not in, go through any transition uh, uh, of rotting. <clears throat> and that's very, very important that we understand that because it only just takes uh, a, ma- a matter of just, uh, I mean, very little time before a body starts beginning to degenerate. And But that did not happen to Jesus. His body did not degenerate. And, and I'm talking about the physical body. And that's Bible. That's the Bible teaching. So we need to understand there's something very special happening there. Another thing that's very special, his bones were not allowed to be broken. And and the the, the old prophecy of the Old Testament said that not a, you know no bones would be broken. There'd be no bone broken. And so the the soldier riveted his side instead of breaking his legs because of the scripture that said his bones shall not be broken. And there's a reason for that, and we'll get into that as I start talking after a bit here about John the Baptist and and about his beheading and what that was involved in. But but I just want you to understand that there's something very 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 deep and very very special about this whole thing of how that Jesus was in charge of all this and this discussion that was going on was a deep and profound discussion now turn with me to the 17th chapter and we'll expand on this a little bit of Matthew chapter 17 this is uh, so very very important okay here so here we go Matthew 17 
And, and this has uh, several elements to it that, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to jar you a little bit, okay? But we've we got to go back here, and we've got to cover th a few things. First, let's start uh, just before chapter uh, uh, 17. Let's start with verse 28 of chapter 16. And this is something that he just said before he took the, the, the uh, uh, you know, uh, the three disciples up to the mountain. Verse 28 says, Verily I say unto you, there shall some be, there shall some, uh, there be, there be some standing here, which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, this mistranslation just absolutely has thrown a lot of people off. It's just, it's just very sad. Uh, and it's unfortunate. Because what really was said by Jesus. Uh, there be some people that shall not taste of death, uh, you know, uh, uh, until they, they see uh, me leaving uh, for my kingdom. And it wasn't about, it wasn't the opposite about, you know, uh, th that, uh, th that the, you know, that they will not taste of death, uh, you know, um, until they see the Son of Man leaving for his kingdom, not coming to his kingdom, because this whole timing and everything wasn't about the coming. He he hadn't even risen from the dead yet. He hadn't even been been crucified yet. Uh, and so, it wasn't talking about he wasn't talking about the coming. You know, it was talking about his departure, which goes along with the interpretation of that that. Exodus type word uh, that meant ex exit and, and and it's what the Bible says that that uh, Moses and Elijah were talking about it was really really important and I'm going to show you why it was so important to them I'm going to show you why it was important because the tie-in that connected both the ministry that Moses was wanting to fulfill and that John the Baptist was wanting to complete uh, was tied into this thing about his departure and we're going to see what, what what we're talking about in just a little bit. So just just hang and hold. Okay. All right. Um, now let's let's uh, let's just look at um, um, another thing that Jesus said in verse nine. Um, here's what Jesus said: And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying. Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Now, I I want you to notice two things here. Notice, number one, that this was called a vision. A lot of this was called a vision. This was not just any kind of a dream or any kind of a vision. Uh, this was a, a sub-audition vision. And, and, and in the manifest, it's called a visionation. And so this sub-audition visionation, what uh, was something different than subedition gnosis? That's that's a totally different trip. But this particular trip is is, is a a deep subedition vision, uh, in which uh, you know your body doesn't move anywhere, go anywhere, uh, uh, once you have achieved a certain state of, of reaching a, a certain point, like they went up to the mountain, then it didn't go anywhere because they were laying there asleep. But they were laying there asleep in the sub-edition. And, and uh, this whole visionary uh, thing was was happening to them. And, and so 
if we have the time tonight to take this trip, that's the kind of trip that we're going to be taking. It's going to be this trip, you know, that is going to be in in the vision uh, that's going to be uh, energized by the sub-edition that I will uh, ask to be put upon the people uh, for those that are interested to have that. Uh, we just hope that we'll have time to do it tonight. We'll just have to see. Okay, so um, um, tell no man... Uh, until the Son of Man be risen. Why wouldn't he want them to tell the other disciples? The, the, ladies and gentlemen, you know, there were nine other disciples waiting down at the bottom of the, uh, of the, of the, of the mountain. Why wouldn't he want them to know? He said, tell nobody else about this. Well, I'll tell you, it was very important uh, that, that it was not spoken uh, because it was sealed into it. Now, what was really talking about here when it was saying about this thing about uh, about you know uh, the message was not about decease but the message was not about departing because what was it taught about it was talking about his statement that he made to the man on the cross for one thing about going on this day uh, you know I'll, I'll meet you in paradise uh, and uh, Jesus entered the state of death and and uh, <clears throat> His his whole thing uh, was to be risen uh, in his spirit and to go and minister uh, uh, to to the spirits uh, that were bound. Now turn with me to First Peter three eighteen. First Peter three eighteen, and we're going to see here, you know, uh, part of the story. First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also once served for their sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also, by being quickened by the Spirit, by which he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, <clears throat> which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. <clears throat> Excuse me. While the ark was a preparing, wherein few that his eight souls were saved by water, the light like figure whereinto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now this is so absolutely awesome. This is so absolutely incredible. Because one of the things that Moses was interested in was bringing back, re-engenerating all of those people that had not been able to cross over the Jordan. And they were down there with these other people here. And, and those people that were in the prison are those that went all the way back to the days of Noah. It went all the way back to the, to the days of Noah. And everybody since that time was also down there in that same place. And, and that thief that was on the cross in the modern contemporary time of Jesus was also going to end up going down there. Okay, he says, I'll see you down there in, you know, I'll meet you in paradise to, to, right tonight, today. I'll meet you in paradise. So it shows that that wasn't just a one-time event, that even people were continuously, uh, that were not ascending and transforming and overcoming, were, were ending up down in that prison. And that, that thief was going to be down there that night. And Jesus was going to minister to him. And you can see from that that all these other people, they were there too. And so Moses 
knew that this deliverance had to come through Jesus Christ. Even though he was representing Jesus Christ, he understood that that had to come through Jesus Christ. And so the interesting thing that he wanted to talk to to Jesus about uh, was was Jesus's, the departure of Jesus uh, from the cross, from that that state of death, and 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 the by the the quickening of the spirit, going down into this purgatory, into this this uh, you know uh, uh, what's called the uh, uh, the lower paradise, you know, uh, and and uh, uh, being able to minister and give a chance uh, to uh, redeem and regenerate these people, and it's interesting that those very people were persons that had been uh, baptized. You know, they'd been baptized by the water. And so then, you know, it connects it all all here. Uh, You know, uh, in the 21st verse, the like figure, whereinto even baptism does now also save us. They had been baptized, and and then they had been proxied by a second uh, circumcision. Uh, all kinds of things had been done by Moses, by by Joshua, uh, by men of God, and now here was Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, and and it's interesting in the Book of Micah, Micah chapter four, the last chapter of the Book of Micah, the last chapter of Micah, and the, and the last book of the Old Testament, that that both the law of Moses is mentioned just before it gets into the the ministry of what Elijah is supposed to do when he comes back. So now what was uh, what was uh, uh, then um, John, John, uh, or pardon me, Elijah talking to him about. Well, Elijah was was talking to him about the fulfillment of Micah four, in in which uh, you know that that uh, uh, he had to minister uh, uh, that it was a requirement uh, to minister this certain word for for turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the hearts of the sons to to the fathers and and bringing this unity and uh, before he could even complete it uh, uh, his uh, entity that had uh, uh, been born in a body uh, at the same time of Christ uh, was was killed and his head chopped off and put on a platter and we're going to get into that story here in just a, in just a little bit and so as we begin to see this story the, the thing that 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 uh, that e- Elijah was there for because he wasn't really planned to be there it the plan was actually for for John the Baptist to be there up on that mountain. And we're going to tell you why he didn't make it and what happened and what the force was that was involved that, that stopped him from making it. And we're going to get into that and show you that whole story here. And hopefully we have enough time to do that. I'll have to race along. But now we begin to see that this story is, is incredible. And, and, and it, it's an incredible thing about how that, uh, you know, uh, two powerful men of God uh, had to come and be there on that mountain, uh, you know, and, and they wanted to they wanted to speak to, to Christ, and and you notice that uh, uh, the 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 this voice was not speaking out of the zenith, out of the cloud, and saying, now you you Elijah and uh, and um, Moses, you need to just be quiet and hear what the Son has to say. No, he wasn't saying anything about what they said. That was totally accepted what they were what uh, they were uh, conversing with him. It was John uh, Peter. And Paul, uh, Peter and um, and James, 
<coughs> that uh, were wanting to make tabernacles. And, and that wasn't in the will of God at all because they didn't even understand uh, this whole plan that had to do with life and death and the, and the, and the, ether, the ether world and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so this is what this is about. This is what it's talking about, by which he went and he preached under the spirits uh, that were in prison. And um, it's, it's just uh, uh, an absolutely incredible, uh, you know, revelation of, of uh, what, uh, you know, what God is doing, what, what God is uh, wanting to uh, provide uh, and bring about uh, for his, his people, uh, you know, and how that, that he, he, just, he just has, he has a plan. And his plan is is love and redemption, and and uh, uh, this thing on the on the Mount of Transfiguration was major. It was a major, incredible thing going all the way back to the time of the flood. Going all the way back to all the scriptures, you know, in in, in the Old Testament that talks about, uh, like in in Psalm sixty eight twenty two, I will bring Bashan again. Uh, all these scriptures that talked about the the regenerations that were to happen uh, was all enfolded in that. Uh, the scriptures in Ezekiel that talked about you know that uh, these bones uh, were were people who had died that were separated from from their other parts. Uh, they had been separated uh, by these causes that divided them from being a part of the, of the of the group that they belonged to. And how that they would be uh, raised and regenerated and it would come back. You know, I've already given you a scripture and preached on that. But it was this all tied in uh, to to this whole incredible story. Okay, now let's let's move on. Let's move on. All right. Okay, now. Um, Let's look at Second uh, Peter. While you're over there in Peter, look at Second Peter. This is a an awesome, awesome scripture. We're going to get into Second Peter one. All right. So here we are, just about there. Okay, Second Peter, and let's let's just read this because. You are going to uh, you're going to like this, um, and verse verse one. Second Peter, um, chapter one, verse twelve. There we go. Okay, here we are. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, that though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yet I think it meet, meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my uh, decease, to have these things, and this actually should be departure, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunning devices and fables which we made known unto you uh, and the power uh, 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 unto you and the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses, I want you to get this, were eyewitnesses to his majesty. 
for he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. They're talking about this voice that came out of this big zith. They're talking about this excellent glory and 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 all the meaning of this. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do, do well that you take heed as unto the light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now, they had a more sure word of prophecy because they had an insight that they weren't even able to tell anyone until after Jesus had made that trip down into, we'll just call it purgatory for now. But if you don't like that word, then just give it another word. But into this paradise of Hades. And and went and began to preach to these these souls that were in prison. And that was such an important thing because this was going to loosen and redeem these souls from out of hell and give them another chance to be regenerated. And Peter is acknowledging here and he's he's understanding this thing about tabernacles being being taken away and and things changing from one thing to another, and he's saying, you know, this isn't just this isn't just a isn't just a bunch of cunningly defined, devised fables, you know, this is something that we were eyewitnesses to, this is something that we heard the voice, and we saw the excellency of the glory, and we heard the voice saying, "This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased." And this voice came from heaven. We heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Wow. Yeah, Peter would know this. Peter would be able to write about how that Jesus went down and preached to the spirits. Starting with those people that were sometimes disobedient during the flood. Peter would be able to write about that because those were the kind of things that were being discussed and that he was receiving the information on of which Jesus said, don't tell this until after I have gone and ministered to these people because there are powers and principalities out there that will try to stop this. If they thought that I was being free somehow in my spirit to be able to go from my body as it is lying in the tomb and go and be quickened to to go down into uh, these uh, deep places of death. They would want to come and destroy my body. They'd want to totally destroy it. You know, like they did with, with John the Baptist. 
And that's going to take us right into John the Baptist. Wow. Wow. Well, what exactly did happen there with John the Baptist? Well, you have to understand, because it's quite a story. And I'm really running out of time, but I just got to keep preaching here for a bit. Because this goes all the way back to Elijah. Because Elijah was a terrible enemy to Jezebel. And Jezebel was a witch. And the Bible says that uh, she practiced witchcraft. And that's right in the Bible. And she was involved in sacrificial things. Now, if John the Baptist had not been killed, he would have been there on the mountain of transfiguration. But not only was he killed, this wife of Ahab, or pardon, this wife of Herod, who was called Mother Herodias, had a daughter that was also called the same name. And she danced before her father. And he says, ask what you will, and I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you up to half of my kingdom. So she, he went to the mother, and he said, she went to the mother, and he said, what shall I ask for, Mom? She says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Excuse me. Now, I want you to know, that this Herodias was the regeneration of Jezebel. And you really need to read this story of Jezebel and Elijah. They were at war with each other. And you remember the story about Jezebel had 850 a priest and 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 these people that were into this uh were uh you know like prophets the prophets of baal and then these priests uh that were into this false uh religion of a goddess and um elijah you know uh ended up challenging them and and then killing over 500 of them and when Jezebel saw what Elijah did, she says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. And uh, Elijah fled for his life. And interestingly, where did he go? He fled first into the wilderness. He was exhausted. And then an angel came and strengthened him and fed him food that he was going to be able to go 40 days on. And he ran. And where did he end up? He ended up at the mountain Horeb, where Moses, the burning bush, all these things, many of these things happened that it talks about, <laughs> where the cloud was over the mountain, all these things. That's where he went. That's where he was when he went and stayed in the cave. And that's where he was when uh, the Lord said, listen. And, and, and he, there was the, the, the earthquake. There, there was the fire. Uh, there was all the, the different things. And finally, the small, still voice. You know, that's where he was. He, he was afraid for his life. He ran for his life because Jezebel intended to kill him. But he got away. And then he anointed a second-in-command, Elisha, 
And he said, you go out and you you anoint uh, Jehu and send Jehu out there uh, to begin to change the structure of the kingship. And Jay was an incredible warrior. And he went out there and he ended up killing all these kingship type of people. And eventually, he also called for the for for uh, uh, what brought about uh, Jezebel's death. And he was going to bury her, but according to the prophecy of, of Elijah, uh, uh, the dogs uh, tore her apart and ate her. There's only bones left. Now, Jezebel wasn't finished coming back. She came back. And if you don't believe that Jezebel came back, you need to read Revelations 2.20, in which it talks about in the church that the one thing that the, that the Lord had against this particular church was that they uh, were, were allowing the teachings of Jezebel. And there's an old prophecy that a witch shall be born. And she was a witch. And she wanted to chop off John the Baptist's head and she wanted to corrupt it. And I won't go into all the sacrifice, sacrificial rituals that she did with her witch uh, power to corrupt the head of John. But that was what made it so that John could not be recalled to go and stand on the mountain. And that's why Elijah had to be awakened out of the swoo and then come as Elijah to the mountain of transfiguration so that the prophecy that was going to be fulfilled by John the Baptist, who also was, was Elijah, but not in the first presence, but in the second presence. And why he had to be there to put in a proxy for time that had been lost, the time lapse that had been lost between John the Baptist and Elijah, so that that could be fulfilled, so that the past could then be added to the future through this process of Jesus going down into perdition and loosening these souls out of purgatory, out of out of the paradise of Hades and give time a chance to fulfill this turning of the hearts of the fathers to the sons and of the sons to the fathers and to fulfill the covenant that was put upon uh, uh, Elijah and that was connected to Jesus Christ that said this had to be done before the coming of the Lord. Now, I was speaking of a particular day of the coming of the Lord. And so there is, Jesus is always coming and, and this is always happening. And so all of these things were why this had to happen. And, and this, this uh, uh, you know, uh, wife of Herod, uh, this witch, this, uh, you know, Heroditus, uh, she got even. She got even with Elijah. She wanted to decimate him just as her body had been decimated by the dogs. And there's a whole story more there to tell, but I don't have the time to tell it. So, 
that's not the all of everything because I didn't really get to finish the thing about the voice. But the point that I, I guess I could say to close that part, in my trying to show you from Exodus of the burning bush and the book of Joshua and the, the man with the sword, the captain of the host, how that there is representations and that this voice that was coming out says, my beloved son, was most likely not actually the father, which art in heaven, but was uh, an archangel representative speaking for the father and speaking his word by the Holy Spirit as though he were the father and speaking about the I am as though he were the I am by thus saith the Lord. And the power of that is just as real as if the first presence was there. Because it's like entanglement. It's like what happens to the one atomic mass happens even if it's all the way across the universe to the other atomic mass because they are paired in a bonding. And that's what this entanglement is. And so that's just a little bit more of the story about the tracks upon the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus said, don't tell us anything. We can't let this out. Don't even share it with the other disciples. We didn't have them come up here because this is too, this is too dangerous. It can't get out. We can't get it into the airwaves. There's a, there's a capsule over this. We've got this holy ship here blocking all of the <clears throat> things happening here. These, these waves, sound waves and voice waves cannot be picked up by the forces of Satan, the principalities. They would like to pick them up, but they can't. They're all blocked by this ship and this great power of the angels of God. Now you mustn't go down and spread that. You can't go down and tell it until I've had a chance to go down into paradise and do this redemption. And Moses understood that, and Elijah understood that. Peter, John, and James didn't quite understand that. They were just thinking of the grandeur of having these great people there. And the voice says, you know, you just need to listen to what the Lord Jesus says. You need to listen to the rock of ages. Quit worrying about building some tabernacles for these people. They've got, they've got to carry on with what they're going to be doing. This isn't just a little local event. This is about the whole world, the whole universe. That's how important that event upon the Mount of Transfiguration was. That's how important those tracks were. Well, I'm going to have to postpone our um, our thing on the um, taking a trip to the Mount of Transfiguration. We'll do it next week. But in another two or three weeks, I plan to um, to have a session in which we just answer questions. And whatever question you have, if you'll send it in to me, get to me in time, I will put all these questions together and I'll spend a whole broadcast just answering questions. So be sure you don't put it off to the last time. It'll be probably two or three weeks. But I'm going to do that. And then after that, I'm going to get into another revelation about the Shekinah glory. And you will hear some things about that that will absolutely shock the socks right off your feet. But we're going to have a chance to at least do another uh, teaching or two on the tracks upon the mountain of transfiguration to finish it plus which will incorporate that, uh, you know, a special uh, tr 
vision trip that we're going to take you on to the mountain. Let me just have a prayer for you people that may be sick. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our transgressions, our sins, as we forgive those who have transgressed and sinned against us. Reach thy holy love out to the people that are listening and that will continue to listen to these messages, who are fighting with sicknesses in their body and diseases and germs and parts of their body not functioning properly. In the name of the power of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Rock of Ages, let this energy of God, this holy power of Jesus, go out over the airwaves right now, out through this, this whole broadcast, and begin to heal and make whole these people. Every corner of the internet that this message travels, let this power of healing travel and heal and may the love of God become known in this beautiful and wonderful benevolent way God bless all of you we love you see you next week and don't forget to check into our blogs God bless you Amen